Caitlin Absurfi is a photographer and videographer specializing in documenting the music industry and professional football. Originally from Devon, Caitlin relocated to London to attend university and pursue her love of photography and video. Her career has carried her to several countries, including the US and Spain, where she has worked with Broadway performers, label artists, football clubs and academies. Starting with football, we talk about Caitlin's experience photographing it, the chances she had to visit other countries and the actual procedure. Then we dug a little deeper and looked at the LGBT community's present situation in football, as well as Caitlin's preferred teams and players. After discussing music photography, Caitlin offered some highlights from her experience photographing performers that would make most of us envious. If you happen to be a musician planning a tour, Caitlin is a person to get in touch with, even if it's tomorrow. Listen to this episode to learn more about numerous topics related to football scene, receive an introduction to shooting both football and music, and be motivated by Caitlin's positive attitude. Enjoy! Hello Caitlin, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, yeah, I'm excited, should be good. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, when people ask, I'm kind of quite specific in my field and I would say I'm a music photographer, videographer, but I also work within professional football and as of recent beach soccer as well. So I try and keep that kind of specific niche of music photography and football as well. So I try not to veer off. So you do photography in professional football, right? Yeah, that kind of was as a result of COVID, to be honest, because there was no music and I've always way before I did any photography or videography or just anything to do with film and things like that, I played football to a pretty good standard, played at academy and then I got injured really badly when I was about 13, played for Plymouth Argyles Academy in Devon and had like a complete, that was it, could not continue level of injury. So I just like lightly followed it. I've always been like a fan of Newcastle United, so mm-hmm. I'm very happy at the minute. I'm very, very happy at this minute with how my team are getting on. But during COVID, obviously, I had nothing to do. And I'd kind of got way back more into following it again and um, kind of reached out to Exeter City, actually. I think at the time they were looking for like a social media assistant, but they got back to me and said, did I want to come down and see how I got on at one of the home games? I really liked what I shot video-wise. And then they just kind of kept inviting me back. And I spent 2021 season with them in uh, League Two. And yeah, did a few bits with them. And then I've done like some on-off bits with them since. And... I ended up then going out to Bain and working with a club called FC Malaga City. So it was all because of country, ironically. When no one had any work, it actually got me some work. So that was nice. But it sounds like you managed to combine your two passions, although you cannot play anymore, but still football and photography. Yeah, I mean, I try and do a little bit of like training in the summer with my friend just for kind of fitness levels, because it's like a whole different use of your cardiovascular system. You get on the pitch and you're like, oh, wow, I haven't played for a hot minute and now, but I'm um, struggling after five minutes of running. Yeah, no, it's nice. You know, you get to be amongst it. And as I said, I support Newcastle, so it's super exciting for me at the minute. It's nice to kind of jump in and out of that. And uh, yeah, it seems to be fairly consistent in terms of getting little bits and bobs. It means I get to work abroad a fair bit, which is really nice. So so would your goal be to be a photographer of Premier League club? Primarily club. You know, I would love to kind of come in and I quite like working like player specific content, which is really fun. I did a little bit with a player called Ryan Edwards and he was playing for Burton Albion and was transferring to Busan Park in Korea. I think he's just signed to a club in the third division of Spain, but it was doing kind of like mid-season fitness and kind of like a hype video kind of thing. And I probably like to do more of that kind of stuff with players, but yeah, I'd love to shoot a game. I like does, James Park or something, yeah. Does sick. it mean that they are shooting for a specific footballer rather than the whole club? Or how does it work? So I was working with a club called FC Malaga City, which is not to be confused with Malaga City, which is the La Liga side. It's like a private academy in the town called Amanieca in Spain. It's near Malaga, about 45 minutes. And I was working with them for about five weeks towards the tail end of COVID's lockdown here, which was... 2021 like May June time I them for five weeks and they had Ryan Edwards come out because he was then going over to Korea and I got to work with him just with the owner of the club he has an agency he kind of contacted him worked with him brought him over to do pre-season training so I did that with him there while I was working for the other club yeah it's quite good it's varied 
people kind of just think football photography or football videography is just match day taking pictures of the game but there's some really great photographers out there who are shooting like 35 millimeter out in italy and just really changing how content is created in football which is really interesting so does it mean that you create a content and then they share it on social media website yeah so depending on what the club need or what the club want or what the player wants it does tend to be mostly social media content i think because the output for most of my work be that music or football does tend to be social media i suppose it's it's good for audience traffic it's good for just highlighting what's going on for malaga city for example it's encouraging young players to come over from a lot of the time america to the academy and i want to play for the academy for other players it's just to like raise their profile on social media i suppose it's crazy kind of when you look down at you know you'll see players who i think Zami simmons he plays for psv and when he was at barcelona's academy he was like the most followed under i think he was 18 year old on social media or something or instagram and his profile was raised so so much and i think that probably helped with that initial transfer to paris Saint-Germain. definitely social media is a massive almost like transfer boost for people so i think it helps players again just raise their profile and again for the clubs it's just look at cristiano ronaldo going over to saudi arabia their social media's just gone crazy so obviously money's gonna be at the end of that i think but yeah so gaining attention on your club gaining fans followers it all helps i think generate that football ecosystem so yeah i think i saw recently like a chart with athletes that make the most money I don't want to lie, but I think Ronaldo was maybe the first one. And I would say that a very high percentage of his revenue wasn't actually from playing football, but from like advertisement, social media, promotion and stuff like that. So that's yeah. a good point that it plays a very important role. I mean, look at Paris Saint-Germain again to bring them up. They were the first club to be specifically sponsored or supplied by Jordan. And that's like you're delving into fashion there at that point. The club is sometimes, I think I hear referred to as more of a fashion brand than a football club. Having Mbappe signed to Nike, it's crazy how much the fashion affects the brand of the club. I think they did a team photo last season and they hid Messi's shoes under the... They basically hid his shoes because he was the only athlete on that bench that was sponsored by Adidas. Like these tiny specific things and yeah, it's crazy. So with this shooting for a club or for specific players... Does it work like that with basically all the players and all the clubs in football? For example, let's say each club has specific photographers or the player. So most clubs have like a club photographer. There's some really fantastic UK-based ones who are doing a lot of really interesting. For a long time, a lot of football photography was just very bland and generic. These shots that had no kind of depth of field were just very, very boring. And then you've got a lot of people bringing in really interesting Styles of photography, really nice colour grading. Bournemouth are a big club recognised there. Wolves have a really strong social media. Very specifically orange and teal grading on their photos and it looks great. It suits the club branding and ethos, I think. Man City, again, really working to kind of have this coherent looking. I think, again, it all looks specifically good on the Instagram. If you look at like Man City's Instagram feed, this coherent colour grading is going on even the editing for the videos everything is so specific but then you see you know a lot of players like you said are having this instagram content and there's some really really great photography going on and videography and they're having them come into the matches and shoot concept for them during the game specifically just of them it's a difficult line to walk in terms of what's allowed to be posted and what's not and but you have a certain liability for things and it's all very interesting murky water that I don't know sometimes how access is granted specifically to like Premier League sides and things. Yeah, it's an interesting situation going on in the football world. So did you get like specific guidelines or rules that you had to follow for this specific team or the player to adhere to? So with Exeter, I wasn't technically allowed to shoot photo. I don't really know the situation then now because it seems like that doesn't apply to their videographer at the minute so i don't really know what was going on there because again i don't really know how one line is specific for one person and not for another so i don't really know what that situation was but i knew i was allowed to shoot video for the club and we were limited in regards to access anyway because of covid so for the season i worked with them all the grounds specifically had like green zones red zones amber zones 
your pass dependent on where you could access. You know, you wear masks the whole time, you can't get too close to the players. That was really interesting. And then, for example, like Ryan Edwards went out with him. I think he was still contracted for New Balance at the time. So I was trying to obviously get as much of the branding in as possible so that, again, it looks good for him to tag the brand in and stuff. Malaga City, they work with Nike. They don't really focus too heavily on posting about that. But again, I kind of subconsciously try and get the branding in if I can. Like, so maybe a player walks in with, like, the pre-walk onto the field, like, maybe with some Nikes on. I try and get the swoosh, you know? But yeah, sometimes players will do... I think Jaden Sancho at one point was having a really good content put out for him. And it was, like, just gym content. It was just really cool, like, hype videos of him in the gym pre-season. But his videographer was getting that Nike branding in, you know? I suppose that there is specific things you need to get into the video then. It's the subtleness of it. It's not like a Bond film where it's just like, here is a very obvious problem. <laughs> yeah. He's a brightening watch or whatever they're called. And, and yeah. can you tell us a bit more about the actual process? Maybe like, what is your day on a shoot? So football is varied. I was literally just in Spain last week. So we'll go through the process of that day. So my flight was five to six in the morning. I landed in Malaga at nine. I was working with the England beach soccer team. So we had to wait for them to arrive. We all went together then to the, I think it was actual Malaga's training ground. I believe it was actual Malaga Malaga, the La Liga Segunda Division team. We went to their beach soccer training facility, trained there for about two hours. So I've already kind of prepped my gear in this situation because I know I'm coming off a flight. I don't want to be tired trying to figure out like the night before I'm kind of making sure my sound's working, which is another story. All my lenses are clean. I get a lot of dust and I get a lot of sand obviously getting kicked up. So I need to make sure there was no sand in, in any of the lenses. So all of that's prepped the night before, and which is generally how I work anyway, is just making sure my gear's ready the day before. And then I'm getting to beach soccer training facility. So I'm having a little bit of a walk around, seeing what I'm working with, seeing what the light's like. In this instance, seeing what the sand is like to move on, if it's dry or if it's wet, which is a brand new thing for me to have to play with. It was nice and dry. It was very, very hot. So that was like easy for moving around on. And then, yeah, just kind of, I spoke to George Jeremy, who's A, one of the England players, B, he's the CEO director he spins all the plates at Malaga City Football Club and just kind of getting the gist of him what he wanted to do for the day how intense it was going to be and then I kind of like to try and find out who my characters are going to be so I hadn't worked with this team before and I like to try and see who's going to be giving me that kind of funny content who's going to be like the more serious profile shots I want to get the more serious shots and just kind of trying to suss out what they're like so I kind of sit and listen to them when they're chatting and not like a creepy eavesdropper, but <laughs> I try and get an idea of who's going to yeah. be giving me what kind of content. And then they trained. I shot quite a lot of B-roll, did a quick interview with England captain Aaron. And again, checking all the gears, getting put away and then clean and back in the bag ready for the next bit of filming. You're getting chucked on a coach and then, you know, half time you don't know what's happening because you just kind of got to go with it. But the camera's always got to be ready, always making sure everything's charged up and ready to go. For working with someone at Exeter, it's a much more kind of stable idea of what's happening. If it's like a Tuesday night game, you usually go up on the Tuesday and the day. You'll check into the hotel. You might have been, I mean, this is in COVID anyway. We were given our COVID forms that so you have to declare going to the stadium to so say you haven't had COVID. Certain points where we're allowed to test, we were testing before we even left the house. But then you go to the ground, do all the checks. The press officer, Craig Bratt, would kind of go and do a bit of a walk around ourselves get an idea for what was going on he'd be up doing all the twitter stuff and the social media stuff and just basically being the voice of the club while they're playing and i kind of be having a look at what light i'm working with obviously in league two you get a very vast range of stadiums you when i was there it was either someone like bolton who is a premier league standard stadium amazingly lit incredible and then you might have someone like no disrespect to grimsby town here but you might have someone like grimsby town where it's a lot of an it's a much older stadium and yeah you're just kind of getting a feel for what the game's gonna be like and then personally regardless of what kind of football i'm filming i like to be in the final third area so i can get corners i can get when game is kind of really getting intense when there's fans in the stadium you can kind of get an idea of what side to stand you know when it was empty it was just like right i'm gonna pick left or right depending obviously again if you were told where you had to be COVID was very strict for football so you might have to specifically be on the left or the right again that red and amber tape and it's just being ready for the game. I mean, I understand football and 
how it's played. And I think I have a pretty good ball knowledge as they kind of use the phrase these days. I think I missed a goal once in the whole season and the rest of the time, you know, I know when we're attacking, I know what's happening at corners, that kind of thing. So it's just been ready to get those really intense moments when they're going to come in super tight and you can get those really like cinematic kind of shots of them, of, like the boots and stuff. And then the game finishes. Sometimes I had to help out with post-match interviews, just literally to help with the camera if we didn't have another assistant on board. It's just always being with the camera until you're in the car ready to go home, basically. So, sorry, do you actually do interviews or do you record them as they do interviews with, let's say, television or something? So the club, usually Exeter, for example, have very, very good social media output. Very, very, very good. Scott Palfrey and Zandy Thornton and Craig Bratt, shout out to them because they really, really do put out a lot of very good content for the club, which is recognised. You know, they've won awards for it. And they do post-match interviews usually. So they'll get the gaffer out, whoever it is at the time. For me, it was Matt Taylor. And then if they've lost, they tend to get the captain out. If they win, it tends to be one of the goal scorers or, you know, man of the match kind of thing. Sometimes, yeah, you will. It's a lower division football, so it doesn't tend to have the coverage like a Premier League match would, where they do a lot of post-match interviews. They'll sometimes have BBC Devon or someone there to speak to the players or the manager after the game. Yeah, that for me, that was kind of like a B-roll opportunity. There's once or twice I've had to assist, but most of the time that's me just getting like good B-roll. I was external to their normal output. I was kind of making external content. And it's the same with Malaga City. You know, they didn't really do post-match interviews. But I was on hand if need be, I suppose. It sounds like you need to be also quite athletic to, you know, keep chasing the ball, trying to get specific angles. So how much tiring is it for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say I was in not good shape day one of lockdown. And day one of lockdown, I just thought, you know what, I'm not going into my 20s being unfit so yeah i'm very very highly active it definitely helps to be physically fit in both music and football because you are moving a lot a lot of the time you're grabbing your stuff you might have to carry like you might not have time to put stuff away you might have to have cameras on you You might have backpack on you you might be helping other people with gear so you're carrying kit a lot of the time with malaga city i'm helping you know they also stream the game so i'd be helping carry like the actual scaffolding stuff putting that in that you know you've got to be physically able to do it there's no i mean there are people who obviously everybody's different shapes and sizes but for me i was like i need to be like able to carry heavy things i need to be able to move just i need to be able to perform better because you're doing high performance sport you need to be able to be able to like move about and i think like for the beach soccer i need to be able to run on that sand i need to be able to move so yeah i think being a very good physical is super important and it just looks better when you're turning up to sport and things and you're some of these people are like absolute monsters and you just think <laughs> oh i've got to be a certain level here to be able to like yeah. chase them down the pitch and once you create the content on a day or after the whole time that you are with them do you then edit it and share it to someone for feedback or do you share it for feedback first and then edit it based on what they want or what is this process like I think my process is similar for this as it is in music in terms of like I have had in like grained in me as a music photographer that nobody wants the content three days later. It's a little bit different for football because they sometimes have like specifically planned days they want to put content out but I like to be efficient with it. I like to have an idea of what I'm doing in my head in terms of getting it ready. So for football I kind of want it like within 48 hours like match day recap videos if you play the match on a saturday by monday they're already hyping up their tuesday games mm-hmm. so within that gap you want it football video content you want within that kind of 48 hours there's no point in it being late because like i said they're gearing up for the tuesday game against Sheffield wednesday and they've just played bolton on the saturday nobody yeah. cares they're ready for the next game now and people want to see it like you know Exeter again, very good at putting out their three. They do something called a 360 video, and Zandy will usually, if not him and Scott, Zandy will usually have that video out within like six hours of the game, six, seven, eight hours. I usually take slightly longer. My videos are different tempo and a different style, but you know, people want to see the content. If you've lost, it's like you can be a bit like slacky with it, I think, because people are just a bit. Did it happen too? <laughs> Yeah, the comments will just be like, nobody cares. It'll be like, here's a look back at Saturday's game. It's like, no one cares. <laughs> or like, we don't want to watch it. Or like, so, okay, I spent hours editing this, but I'm going to put it out into the world anyway. But yeah, the process is just kind of 
sometimes you have to start with the music i think as well if you've won a game you know it's going to be like bam 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 like especially if it's been a high scoring game you want something up tempo you want to be able to like match that pace so sometimes you've got to be quick on that in it but i don't like work being you know there's nothing worse than when you hear like from publications i'm waiting on this person to deliver this content or this mm. it's unprofessional and time is money i know it's a really sad horrible yeah classic no. phrase but time is money and, and it needs it, to be out it needs to be ignored so does it mean that once you finish let's say after a match you then go to the hotel and start editing right away yes yeah, so with efl games for exeter you know or efl matches i think i'm right in saying that they can't post the goals until midnight it's a rule mm-hmm. basically so i'll go through the game footage and get the goals for the media manager and the other content like Craig and Scott and I would send them to them so they could use them if not in the morning so they could use those post in the morning like good morning like the extra fans called Grecians so it'd be like happy Sunday Grecians and it's like they're the goals or for Malaga again I like to do maybe like a basic edit I like to just kind of know where the footage is going I'm also just super impatient so I like to just go and edit straight away you're like a dog with a bone like oh, I, I really want to see the footage and then you see one bit and you're like okay maybe i'll just do a full edit now at least i want to see the footage i'm even on my camera like, i want to watch it i want to see it and then you've got like footballers you just want to see the footage anyway and obviously you probably cannot say the specifics but just to get an idea since you're working with footballers and with the teams is it paid well or if compared with like a regular job is it actually good money or is it regular or what is it like So with Exeter, my role there initially was voluntary and I did a few bits of paid work for them, which is kind of why I'm not really doing anything with them now is I have a day rate that I basically go with and they quite might pay my basic day rate then, you know, I'm not willing to drop it now. I have a lot of artist friends and stuff who say, you know, you have to know your worth and if people won't pay your basic day rate, then the job's not happening. So initially with them it's voluntary, but it was kind of expenses were covered. But now when I work, for example, in Spain, everything is covered. My day rate is covered. Travel, accommodation, food, everything. So it's quite well paid when I work abroad, I would say. I'm not fully freelance yet, but I can earn in like three, four days of shooting football what I'd earn a whole month of working in my part-time job as well. So it's quite good money. If you can do it consistently, the money's very good, I would say. Yeah. And, and and I'm charging like a fairly standard rate. Like there's people who will obviously work with high, high-end professionals who mm-hmm. can probably make like a year's wage in a couple of videos. I know for a fact the turnover can be crazy. So if I get to that point, that'd be really nice. <laughs> if I can live off through one video, I think it's within the realm of, you know, some people charge like wedding photography kind of thing. You see content creators and you just know, like, shooting with a top-end professional footballer, you just know they're on good coin. You no. know for a fact they're in a nice hotel. <laughs> I'm flying Ryanair, just for context, there, everybody in the <laughs> um, We're not quite at the private jet level yet. Not yet, but you never know in a few years. I'm hopeful, hopeful. Had some good conversations <laughs> with some people, so, yeah, that would be lovely. And... Did you actually have some free time to enjoy in the city when you were in Spain? Or is it so tight and scheduled that you just do the work? The first time I lived in Almanaca for five weeks with them to the end of the season, that was insane because the lockdown had changed. The lockdown in Spain was very different to lockdown here. You could go outside, you could go to bars, you, you could do anything as long as you were wearing a mask, essentially. And yeah, the evenings, sometimes you would get a text and it'd be like, you're going to... So Amanyaka, I was based and you might get a text and be like, oh, so you're going to Cadiz tomorrow, which is like four hours there, four hours back. And then you're like, oh, okay. That's going to be fun. <laughs> um, and you're like, it's all right. It was quite it, unexpected. Yeah. Like you had pre-warning one day that you were going to go to... It was like, you might be going to Barcelona in a few days time. Then you're on a coach for 14 hours there and then you play the game the next morning. But, you know, I'm not in any way complaining. It was so much work, but it was so, so good because I love Spain as a country. So I got to do a lot there. It's a little bit more chill now when I get flown in and out because I'm there for specific things. Like last April, I went to, flown to Armaniaca, Malaga, Armaniaca. We went to Valencia and yeah, we had a fair bit of free time in Valencia because they were there for about two, three days. It was a great, really, really good trip because I knew a few of the coaches and I knew the photographer, Floor Florentis. She's such a good photographer. She's really, really talented. And there were a few like English coaches plus the Spanish coaches. And we had a really, really great trip. 
And then again, this time I just went, was a lot more relaxed with the beach soccer team. So, you know, I know the town quite well. So I had ambitions to go to the beach, but Almanyaka is in Granada. So it was hot, but cloudy. And it was unfortunately not happening this time. But yeah, I had a fair bit of free time this time. So it was really, really nice. But it's just nice to be in Spain. It's a beautiful country. The culture is incredible. The people are very friendly. It's just nice to be, you know, they're working in general. So I have no complaints anytime I go there. Yeah, and I guess quite a big football culture in Spain, right? Yeah, for sure, of course. You got your favorite team in Spain? Favorite Spanish team? As a kid, it was Barcelona because I was obsessed with Messi. I had all his like Adidas Messi collab stuff. So I'd grown up Barcelona, but I think I don't know. I just like the Spanish football vibe. I went to Valencia, and like I said, and the stadium was stunning. Like Spanish stadiums are just you can't yeah. compare them to the UK ones, you know. Modern or in what way? No, it was it's called um what's Valencia Stadium called? I can't remember what it's called, but we went there for a tour. It's this really old, like stunning, beautiful stadium and we got to a tour around there and I just thought this is Spanish culture, you know? Yeah. And it, they're not like I've gone past so many UK stadiums like Old Trafford, I've been to St. James's Park, obviously, which is my cathedral, obviously, as a Newcastle fan. <laughs> But the Spanish stadiums are just there, you know, they don't go under floor level at all. They're just boom in the middle of a city and they just, they look incredible. It's these massive, great structures. And I love like architecture anyway, and just casual interest. And they're just beautiful stadiums and the culture is, is amazing. And people just watch the games. People are always just kind of interested. If there's a game going on, you see people interested in what's happening. But yeah, yeah. it's great football country. Just a quick one. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a review on your favorite podcast app, subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information, visit the show notes. Thank you and back to the show. I might have missed it, but why are you a fan of Newcastle? So I'm born in Devon, but my mum is a Geordie. So all my, my mum's side are from Newcastle. So yeah, very proud Newcastle supporter. You got bullied at school. I always <laughs> just get picked on. You know, everyone had been born in Barnstable. Their dad was from Devon, their mum was from Devon, their granddad was from Devon, and they'd all support like Man United because they were the best when I was younger. And I would get ripped for supporting Newcastle. So who is laughing? Who is laughing now? It's me. I'm laughing. Oh. So that's fun. It's really fun. You're talking about the football and you're like, oh, well, yeah, I don't think um, the Arsenal kind of bought the title. And they're like, who do you support? Newcastle. And I'm a real fan. I've been there through it all. And do you have a favorite player? Favorite player? I have a few that I really like. I mean, for Newcastle, I would go with Bruno Gomares, Joel Linton. Joel Linton is a perfect example of someone who did not let like a bad start defeat them. And they have worked hard to become a top-level athlete and professional. Minus his drink driving charge. And I just like Mbappe. I think he's, I don't know, he's just cool. I just think it's like, he's such a good footballer. I don't know, I just think he's got this like flair. You know, Haaland is incredible and I think he's an incredible, credible footballer. There's just this flair that Mbappe has where it just looks effortless when he plays. And I think he needs to leave Paris Saint-Germain and really go and test himself at another club. He's young though, so, you know, he's got a lot of work. Why do you think the current club is not enough or not a good one for him? Well, the French League is kind of considered being, I hate when people use the phrase farmer's league because it's like, they're high level athletes like this is you know they knock out the champions league europe league so you know it's such a stupid phrase but i think the standard that he is capable of is above what he's playing and i think someone so skillful and talented and capable of such good understanding of match of gameplay and, and tactics i would like to see him challenged in another league Maybe not even the Premier League initially. Again, he was really highly rumored to go to Real Madrid and it was probably like that close to him going. I think his gameplay would suit it because he's fast and he's technical and Spanish football is heavily possession-based. So I think he would do well there. But obviously, eventually, I would like to see him in the Premier League because it's considered the best league in the world. Mm -hmm. What club he went to, I would be very interested to see just because I don't really know where he would suit. My ball knowledge is all right, but not to the standard where I'd be like, he would be perfect in this club because of this. I genuinely don't know what club he would fit in, especially if it was a few years down the line. Obviously, I'd love him to go to Newcastle because we can afford him. But <laughs> I would also say I wouldn't want him at Newcastle unless he suited the style of play we were playing. So 
Like right now, would he fit in Newcastle? I don't know. Probably not. Depends how much freedom he had down the wing. I'm getting very light into this. That was not the question. I like Mbappe. He has nice shoes. I'm going to go with Mbappe. <laughs> Why not Messi anymore? You said that he used to be your favorite one. Why well, is not anymore? People use that phrase, is Ronaldo your goat or is Messi? Messi's mm. still, for me, a fantastic footballer and he's still very, very good. Obviously, he just won the World Cup with Argentina. Did you support, I mean, obviously you supported probably England, but then did you support Argentina? I didn't. I know this coming across is really bad, but I, my favorite national team is the French team. Oh, I because of Mbappe? Yeah, I think so. I'm not really, I don't know. I just, my issue with football, the big nation games, I don't like the culture in England when we play. I think it's still very, like, misogynistic, and I just don't like the culture of it. It feels very much like this is for white, straight men, and I don't like what it brings out in people. So I think that's what puts me off support. I know it's sitting up to be able to support my national team because of it, but I still don't like the culture of it. Not saying that normal football doesn't have that attached to it, but I don't know. It's like people come out who aren't normally fans of football, because England are playing and as a result of it it just gets I hate seeing these teams of violence it's just pathetic and I don't know I don't like to be amongst that I think I struggle to relate to that really yeah I understand I went recently to watch a match I've never been here to like any of the big matches I went to Spurs okay yeah yeah I wanted to see the beautiful stadium which was beautiful because it's new and also because Dwesen was there But I didn't expect that, like, some fans will take it so seriously. It's maybe because I don't know much about it. I've never really been there. But, like, the number of police officers that were there, the people, like, the mess and everything, it was a bit too much for me, to be honest. Yeah, it does get quite, like, that. They still have, um, I can't remember what they're called. They're basically bands who are there to cause trouble, there to cause violence and it's controlled better i think the national league probably suffers really bad from it still because the police presence except that it's not to the like level in terms of like amounts of police officers in the games or just that security and stuff i don't know this football hooligan thing is still so deeply rooted into british football culture not to say it's not in other countries here particularly it still has like the kind of bitter taste in your mouth which is why it's so refreshing seeing the women's football because it doesn't have that I don't really follow the women's football and that sounds really bad, but it's nice to see that it's mostly people just really interested in the game. I think that's what puts a lot of people off football. I think a lot of women I know, for example, don't like football because they don't like the culture of it. A lot of my other gay friends, they don't like the culture of the football and it's still not inviting atmosphere. I think still people still feel uncomfortable to go to matches or they still feel... Yeah, I understand and agree because... For example, as someone as me who doesn't follow it as much as others, I just went there to enjoy the experience and see it for the first time. I'm not saying that I don't want to go there again, but at the same time, because of this, it's not something that I would really want to experience too often. And what was quite sad was to see even little kids there, you know, like listening to people swearing and all the mess and not want to say violence, but even some people behaving not really appropriately. Like, I wouldn't want to bring my kid there. I would want my kid to watch the match, but not in this environment. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, it's, again, I'll highlight the work of Exeter because, you know, I've seen them call out statements where there's been homophobia or there's been racial abuse at players. And they'll ban people. They're like, this is not the eagles that we want to ins- kind of like evoke at the club. And they're a fan-run club, which is great because it means that they can kind of really tackle these issues. But that violent football culture is still very much there. And it, it's a working class sport. You know, that's the point. It's anyone can, from any background, can become a top level professional footballer. You know, that's kind of what's so cool about the sport. You know, you get a lot of players who have come from very poor backgrounds, from different ethnicities or races, or unfortunately, we're not getting there quite that quickly with sexualities. But it's meant to be a sport that anyone can become a top professional in. And it still feels very much like not accessible to everybody, which is so ironic because that's the point of it. It's a simple game where people kick a ball into a goal. Obviously, it's more technical than that, but it should be accessible. You know, when I've been working with academies, I hear a lot of the American boys that they're throwing around homophobic slurs like it's, you know, casual. And it's like, what are you doing? 
do you even know the weight of what you're saying? And, the impact. and that's very disappointing. Yeah, and exactly. On the player, yeah, I agree. Especially when you're, you know, the statistic I believe is one in four people are gay, and it's like I'm sat there listening to the muse slurs and like thinking, what am I? What do I say? But you know, any of their teammates could be a homosexual, and they're just like having to sit there, hear that, and try and force that behavior out of themselves, so they don't think it. You know, I can't possibly be gay in this culture. And it's just disappointing on days like Rainbow Laces again, which is when they try and really push the LGBTQ plus equality in the sport. They have to turn the comments off on the Premier League's official Instagram or on their or clubs because you just get ridiculous levels of homophobia. And it's just like, just grow up, man. It's just, it's not that deep. One day, one day when they're just trying to say, it's okay for you to be gay and also play football or watch football. And then people are just like, don't read the Instagram comment, don't read the comments. Jesus, you'll never go to a game ever again. But saying that, a lot of players, like Jordan Henderson at Liverpool, makes a big thing of it. And I think that's fantastic. They are making strides to make it better. And obviously, the No Room for Racism campaign, again, has been doing really good things. And things are improving. Don't get me wrong, I'm trying to make it sound like it's, you know, the 1920s again or something. Or like, they are trying and it is improving, but it's still not good. There's a long, long way to go. So seeing players that have come out, for example, that's incredible. That's very, very brave. Yeah, there was recently, I think a few weeks ago, because I'm from the Czech Republic and there was one Czech player. I don't know the name, honestly, but I think maybe he plays in Italy or somewhere and he came across as a gay as well. And there were like people who obviously supported him that he came out. But at the same time, there were a lot of like, I don't know, either people or clubs or associations that didn't say anything about it like not even noticed but obviously everyone noticed but they either didn't want to or were scared of the public or of the reaction and as you said we are in 21st century so that should be so unexpected or such a big deal or uh, they should be scared of but as you said the environment is what it is so it's a difficult topic yeah it's very difficult, especially when you get the classic, one of my favorite phrases, like, I agree with it, I just don't want to see it. And I'm just like, I agree with it, I don't see why we have to make a thing about it. We have to make a thing because there's like four openly gay men who are playing in God knows how many leagues across the world. And the reason they're making a thing about it is because you just have to read the comments on Rainbow Laces Day. You know, it's like they're trying to make this more inclusive and more accessible to people. And that's why. And because there's countries where people have been stoned to death. That's why. I was also quite surprised that it will probably sound like that I'm not educated enough about this topic. But I didn't see it such a big deal because I thought that there are more people like that and it's known. But as you said, there are only four. So I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I thought that it's kind of more welcoming and different culture. But that's what surprised me a bit. I think off the top of my head, I can think of three players. I know there's a player in Australia. There's a player in the United Kingdom who plays in Blackpool. There's a player from the Czech Republic, and then I think there's a few Americans, but they might not be technically classed as pro-standard. But yeah, I think it was a big news story when he came out last year. And it wasn't like, I'm gay, give me attention. It was, I'm gay, look, you can also play football. That was what I got from it, and I thought that was nice. And especially at his age as well, I can't recall his name at the minute, which is terrible. But he was like 17 or something, and he came out. I'm like, that's so brave. You're literally yeah. just on the cusp of a career and you've decided to come out and that's very brave and it's very admirable. So, mm-hmm. But there's loads of gays of us, loads of us are working in football and we're doing all right. Getting paid, so can't complain. I just quickly Googled so that I wasn't saying something that is not true. And the Czech player is called Jakub Jankto and he plays for Parta Prague, but he's on loan for Getafe. Oh, actually in Madrid, probably. Yeah, so I just wanted to double check so that I wasn't saying something that wasn't... No, you were definitely on it. I definitely remember the news article, but yeah, that's, again, amazing. So that's a top, mm. top flight professional as well, so... And coming back to your work, I was wondering, are there any fails from your work that you can or you will share with us? Fails. Football, specifically, last week, <laughs> recorded an inter- I recorded an interview. I check all my stuff. I check all my gear. Like, I'm listening to the clips after the game, like what is that high pitch like sound i was like what is that and my road mic my trusty road mic which i've had since i was at uni decided it wanted to create a high pitch screech sound so i repaired the audio really quickly in premiere pro it wasn't awful but it sounded like it was recorded on skype back in 2007 
So it had that like sound. So luckily the music I had on the video, like I didn't have to go really deep into repairing the audio because the, the music on the um, video kind of removed the weird sound at the same time and it mm-hmm. worked. So I was like, okay, I'll risk it and record the other interviews on the mic. They weren't as bad, the other ones. I am now going to have to invest in a new mic. So Rode, if anyone from Rode, by any chance is listening to this, please send me a new mic for my DSLR. That would be really wonderful. Thinking like the regular person who is watching the work you did with this recording, noticed that it wasn't okay or it's just you because you know? I think it was just me because... Anyone that's seen it has really enjoyed it. They are now, everyone's going to go and listen to the videos I just did and be like, oh, I could definitely hear that where the audio mm-hmm. was heard. No, I think it's fine. I'm going to go with it. It was fine. They were very, very happy with the content. So we're just going to say it was fine. <laughs> yeah. It was actually just intentional. It was character building. And I wonder, how does it work with you finding a job? Do you apply for it? Does someone get to you or do you have like a manager or what is it like? I wish I had a manager. I wish I had an agent. That would be really good. One day. Not kind of, yeah, one day that would be lush. To football, it is at the moment, like I just get a message from um, Georgia, from Malaga, and he's like, these dates, you free. Can you come to this part of Spain? And that's great. And he's like, how much is it going to cost? Yes, that's fine. Buy you out. Sometimes you get a few DMs on Instagram. Instagram obviously is like one of the best tools you can use, especially if you do it properly i think i do it okay instagram but i could probably i don't know i'm not massively keen on having my mug all over instagram so i kind of just keep it to my work but some people really utilize that social media well and then music is really varied music is really really varied again you might get people reach out to you you're reaching out to bands a lot of the time it's spending days on end just emailing management being like do you need a tour photographer and then you'll get no emails back after something like 20. Yeah, it's quite a slog, really. I'm in that really weird middle stage where I will get work, and then I'm like, okay, well, I've had nothing this month, so that's fun. It's just like a really weird in-between stage at the moment. Is it also sometimes that maybe you have too many and you need to pick between? Yeah, sometimes I have actually picked doing work to free in terms of like when I want to shoot an artist for a publication, for example, and I've sometimes picked that over a paid job for a day because if it's someone I really, really want to photograph, like really want to pick, when I strip everything away, I like to think that I'm an artist. And to me, the art is the most important thing. For football, it feels more like a job, but for music, it feels like art for me. And I have if the opportunity is there to shoot someone like, you know, that's a, a bucket list, you know artist i would take the art over the money every single time people probably listen to this like of course you do but like no seriously i would pick the art over the money every time because why else would i do this if it wasn't the creative people i'm in that position i'm okay i can do that but sometimes the priority has to be what's the fulfillment here what am i getting from this and if it's like i get to shoot my favorite artist over i don't know stand in a rainy stadium then i'm probably going to pick the artist for some people they're probably just like what are you doing but yeah, I'd like to think I'm a really cool artist. So with the art, is it again shooting for promotion, like a social media, or is it music videos? So for music photography, I do a little bit of music videography. I consider myself more of a music photographer. Again, like I said, I can shoot video like I do a football, but music photography, that is really a vast landscape that I work in. Sometimes festivals reach out to you and you shoot for a festival for their social media, for their websites, for their advertising, all of that. Sometimes it's an artist. Sometimes I shoot regularly for publications for free to gain portfolio, to gain networking opportunities. And then that'll be for their website. It's such a vast, like, I've shot for a band called Inglorious, who are currently on hiatus. And they obviously paid for me to come and shoot them stuff and my photos on the back of a vinyl which is insane in hmv that's a crazy thing to feel you know that's really so the work very very depending on what it is but again a lot of the time it's socials social media really rules the roost in terms of content creation i think and yeah it's really varied really really varied yeah can you try to compare because before you said the process differs while shooting for football and shooting for artists can you compare it a bit so say I do a concert, I like to have the photos out before I even go to sleep. Specifically, I'm shooting for free. So if I'm doing it for a publication and I'm doing kind of like content creation, if I'm reviewing it, 
I literally like two days ago just got to shoot Michael Bublé so that was great that was front of house which means you don't shoot from the photo pit so I was hella stressed because my mm. biggest lens is 200 mil didn't have time to write another one but I'm very very pleased with what I did get but for that I, I got two tickets press tickets obviously got my pass so I got to take a plus one so I got to take my auntie which was lovely because she took me to his show when I was 16 so I'm 26 this year so she took me when I was 16 for my 16th so it was really nice to get to take her and she got to watch the show while I worked and then reviewed it but a process for that like if the opportunity to edit is like if I'm in a car like for example I'll be editing when I get back from shooting a show I edit straight away because if it's a free if you've been paid by the artist or the festival or whatever no one wants the photos two days later if you've shot a show people need to see the images immediately there is no point posting photos from a show five days later if you're doing something maybe like two weeks later and you're just like throwing it back to when I shot XYZ for you that's fine but for the artist for the band people need to see the show it's just the nature of it people want to see the show they're at they want to share it on social media that can drive ticket sales to another show like it's important so when I work with a band called Pat and Pusher who I absolutely adore they are lovely lovely boys and they need to be signed because they are phenomenally talented anyone listening to this please check out Pat and Pusher their album comes out this year they are fantastic <laughs> For those boys, like I like to get the photos out for them. They sometimes have a little bit of a delay in posting because Sundays tend to not do very well with Instagram. Like if you shoot show show on Saturday night, Sundays just people just aren't on social as much in the morning. So they kind of delay it normally that. But if it's a weekday show, like I want to make sure those guys have the photos straight away. It helps them. It helps drive traffic at their social media. It just all of this stuff's important, you know. So for my process will be after a show. I put my photos straight on my hard drive and get them straight into Lightroom. I kind of go and have a look at what is going to be really usable, disregard the ones that aren't going to be good. And then at the minute I'm working with a preset that I developed that I really like the color grade of. It really works well for live music, really helps, I think, pop light. And I really like just the colors, everything in it. So I kind of chuck that on. Maybe I play around with it. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes the lighting designer wants you to go through a personal hell and has shot that hand is giving you purple lighting for a show so i sit there tearing my hair out trying to fix the lighting for purple because it's so hard to try to correct purple ones but i have finally made myself a preset that i think works for that so but yeah it's going through getting rid of the rubbish and then it's art straight away and then they're like well that was quick and i'm like yeah that's how i work <laughs> how i work hire me for the tour Especially when you shoot someone for free, like Bublé or like something like that. You want to get the pictures out first. My idea is that the management will see them before they see other photographers. And then if they haven't got a photographer, you know, or the artist might retweet it before other people. And that's good exposure and it's good. So you got to pick your battles, I think, in terms of like free work and stuff. So, and if you're going to take free work, you need to be on it and efficient with the distribution of your content. You need mm-hmm. people to see it. Because otherwise, yeah. what was the point? No, I agree. And are there some other highlights to share as you worked for this artist? Are there any other? Yeah, for sure. So like my favorite artist, it's technically just one guy, but I love Panic at the Disco. Panic are like my favorite band. I was having a bit of a like, I'm not getting any work, like nothing's come through recently. I applied through my publication, Bring the Noise, shout out to Nicola for being an absolute G and getting this through for me. And I got, I was in Lidl's with my girlfriend. I'd met her from work and I was I was having one of my like, oh, I'm not getting any work. I'm just going to give up. Like, it's not happening for me. And I got the email come through. She was sending me loads of texts for a WhatsApp. She's like, check your email, check your email, check your email. And I got confirmed for Panic at the Disco in Birmingham and like two days later. And I was like, don't cry in the middle aisle of Little. This is, like, this, is not, <laughs> this is a high point if you're not a low point. Very much like, had you know, like the water yeah. eye emoji, the water mm-hmm. that like, that was me in the middle of Little. And she's just trying to like, like, this is amazing, but like, come on, we need to get out of Little. And I got confirmed a panic and I got to go up to Birmingham and I was reviewing the show as well for the publication. So one of my best friends, Jack, who I have shot a couple of festivals, we did Bald Masters together last year, which was a whole highlight in itself. It was mm-hmm. unreal. I stayed with him and he actually took me to the show because the trains are like not happening. He's like, I'm getting you to Brendan Urie, I'm getting you to Brendan Urie. And he got to watch the show and it was just like a dream show to shoot. A, because I love Fletcher, who was the support. She's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Love her one of my favorite artists right now probably my album of the year last year so that was brilliant anyway and then yeah I got to shoot Panic and initially I was like 
oh my god what's happening and i'm like oh wait i need to shoot i need to concentrate and yeah i got some really really great images that i was super super proud of yeah it was kind of insane it wasn't until i'd taken my camera and put it back with security and gone and sat with jack to review to go and sit in the press bit or just where our seats were from the press tickets i'm just there like what even just happened right now like it was a crazy full circle moment for me because i literally wouldn't have gone into music photography if it hadn't been for that band and my favorite photographer jake chams his work really kind of inspired me initially i was like hold on you can do this as a job you can go and tour and take photos of artists and like do this his content creation for the band that really kind of spurred me to want to do it so it was just like a really nice full circle moment to just be like okay you're on the right track I think getting the pass and getting that show was like, you're on the right path here. Even mm-hmm. when it's tough, you're in the right place and doing the right thing. And then to get Michael Bublé the other day, who was like my OG, was crazy. Absolutely yeah. insane. I haven't really processed that yet. So really. do you still have like a dream one or someone lined up that you would want to work for? I walked in the door the other day and I said to my girlfriend, well, we've peaked now. There's nothing else to do now. <laughs> No, of course, my goal is to tour. I really want to tour with artists. So if anyone listening to this, there's anyone that needs to talk to Topher, I am your gal. I'm very easily fed with Pret and That's all I need to get me going. But I'm going to tour. And obviously, I'd love to tour with Michael Bublé. I think I initially started off doing Broadway and, and West End stuff. As if any of my lectures are listening to this, don't worry, the demon is dead. I don't do much West End stuff now, <laughs> if any. So I think I could really capture him well just everything about his showmanship i think i could really work with well so i would love to tour with buble like actually work for him and his management i just really enjoy just any genre shooting i just love music photography i love everything about it i love the fact that i can't sleep for hours after because i get the same adrenaline rushes artists probably do because it's just so fast-paced and so intense and then it's calm And you're still kind of coming off that buzz. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I just like photographing you already. I just I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that you found your passion and you really enjoyed it. Before we finish, do you want to promote yourself to share any links where people can follow you? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Obviously, you can check out my current work, which I always chuck up on the Instagram. My Instagram handle is C underscore Ebsworthy. So it's my surname. So it's C underscore Ebsworthy. And then my website is www.katelinfsworthy.com. I work for the .com because it means I'm worldwide. Please don't miss impossible. But yeah, I use Twitter, but I don't really get as much, again, traffic on there. But it's what it is. Instagram tends to be the best platform. So please make sure you check that out. But yeah, I'm just around. I'm always ready to go. My bag's always ready. And yeah, if anyone's looking for tour work, concert work, football, obviously, just anything in that field, pun aside. I will add links to the show notes. Thank you. So thank you, Caitlin, for joining us today. It was a pleasure and I will be happy to do a second part in the future. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. I think what you're doing is really cool. And first of all, podcast, you made it super chill for me to chat to you. So, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Produced By. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app, leave a review or send us your feedback. For more information about the host, links from the episode and ways to connect with us, visit the show notes. If you know someone who would be an ideal guest for our podcast, please get in touch. Thank you and see you soon.